Jimmy Walker is like the Baltistral Golf Club of PGA Tour pros. It's understated. There isn't a lot of flash for television or maybe even for like a national, you know, casual fan appeal. But those inside the game, those who really get golf, love Baltistral. They think it's a great course. It's a classic, solid golf course. And I think in many ways that fits Jimmy Walker, who's uh, very popular in the locker room. You know, golfers, people uh, inside the game like him. We in the press who have spent time with him like him. He's a nice guy. He's, he's a little more introspective and introverted, but um, you know, he's an astrophotographer and has you know he has unique hobbies and just sees the world a little bit differently. So popular among for golf nerds, maybe for lack of a better word. And so is Baltistral. But outside of golf, maybe there isn't quite the buzz or or like national you know flash. Hello and welcome to the Golf.com podcast. I am your host, Sean Zock, and here we are, finished with the major season, and it's August 1st. I am joined by my colleague, Jeff Ritter, as I have been to recap every single major this year. Jeff, it feels like just yesterday that we were podcasting about Danny Willett's win down in Augusta. Does it feel that way for you? I don't know about Danny Willett's win, but it feels like yesterday that we were sitting in a Scottish rental house uh, podcasting about Henrik Stenson, and maybe that's because it was only what, <laughs> like 13 days ago or something like that that we were there. Yeah. That one feels very recent. Willett feels, in a lot of ways, like a long time ago now. Yeah. Lots happened since then. Yeah, Stenson's win at the British is all of, I think, 15 days ago now, which uh, it's crazy, but we've capped the major season now with a Jimmy Walker victory. Uh, four yep. first-time winners this year. First time we've had that since 2011, which isn't that long ago, but it just kind of goes to show that we had a lot of newbies win this year, and Jimmy Walker's the last of them. And who would have thought? It, it's amazing to think if you would have said, all right, we're going to have nothing but first-time major winners this year. Uh-oh, you're going to talk about... Ricky's not one yep. of them. Sergio's not one of them. Dustin Johnson's not a total surprise. Henrik Stenson, had, it was, you could see it coming, but... Uh, Jimmy Walker, you thought maybe he peaked two years ago and he was sort of drifting this year. And Willett was a, a, you know, maybe a popular pick, a trendy pick in Europe, but not as well known over here. No one over here really saw that one coming. So uh, the the best without a major club oh. is getting a little lonely for, uh, <laughs> for Sergio and Ricky and uh, maybe a couple other guys, maybe Lee Westwood or you know some of these other aging, yeah. aging stars. But yeah. Uh, yeah, strange year, uh, exciting year, but uh, here we are, four first-timers in the club. Yeah, I know that we had the conversation uh, in that uh, Scottish rental house about who's next after Stenson did it, and yeah, I think we both pegged Sergio. Jimmy Walker was nowhere on either of our minds, and no. he did it wire-to-wire wire this week. You were out there with him on Thursday, right? You kind of followed him around? I guess. Yeah. I guess... With him, it was a pretty all-around game that won this week. It wasn't just his putting, which his putting was great, but it wasn't just his ball striking. He was he was pretty all-around phenomenal. He was all-around phenomenal to get to that point. I had to I had to dig out some of the stats on him from a couple of years ago when he was winning all over the place, and it was it was putting was the key for him then. He was the number two putter on tour in 2014, which I did not remember. Yeah, uh, when he won three times, and he was in the top 15 again in 2015. So. Putting was the key for him. It, it, when, when he was at his best, it was putting. But this week, you're right, everything sort of clicked for him. But down the stretch, he still had to make a couple putts. Oh, yeah. You know, the putt on 17, uh, that, that was bigger than he probably even realized at the time. And then still leaving yourself 2 feet 11 inches on 18 for the win. That, that, you know, that's 
it's good in those moments to know to to feel confident in the putter and and to be able to go back to all those tournament victories and know that you know just to stand over that and know you're a great putter um as J- i'm sure jimmy walker did in that moment that was huge yeah he he gained five plus strokes on the field putting so that's that's uh very significant i think he was top 10 uh in that statistic this week but as you said 17 i think will probably be the shot that he looks back to the putt that he made for birdie to go up actually three at the time on jason day he, he got to 14 under with one hole to play i think that actually brings in the idea of just how much excitement these last two holes at Baltusrol can actually create the two par fives the really long par five 17th uh and it's a difficult par five and then the very easy 18th yeah, it's uh, it's like the whole major championship. All of the excitement of the week was stored up for that those final two holes. You know, it was a product of several things. It I was think. boring the, this the week. The weather, uh, you know, the maybe the leaderboard in some ways didn't really shake out the way we thought. Uh, but the weather created this disjointed, you know, round three and round four. You never really had a rhythm, or it just the excitement just wasn't there. But all of a sudden, we had a great finish It'll pop out of nowhere, almost like a storm cell that <laughs> kept popping over Baltusrol all weekend. All of a sudden, it came together, and we did have one very exciting hour or so of, of golf. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, before that, it was it was it was a slog. It was a slog for fans on site. It was a slog for us in the media, and I think for the players too. It it really uh, it didn't have the, the the real like major championship buzz, no. especially coming off of the show that we saw in Troon. It was that was always going to be a tough act to follow, but uh, but we we did at least get something in the end that was exciting and memorable. It just took a took a long time to get there. Yeah, I th- I felt like we waited almost all day Sunday just to get some some Hollywood script rolling of any sorts, and I think Day made birdie on the ninth hole right before Walker, who had made all pars at that point, hits a sand shot on the 10th yeah. for birdie. That was, that was basically the first roar of yeah. the entire week, yeah. it seemed. And then Walker ends up canning a, a really long, I think it was 30-plus feet birdie, or 28-footer maybe, on the 11th. And it's like, okay, Jimmy Walker's going to do this. Yeah, you almost thought the final holes were just going to be a coronation. And, and especially when Day missed his birdie chance on 17, he thought, well, that's, that's probably going to do it. Uh, it really popped up out of nowhere, this exciting finish, with Day uh, hitting uh, uh, the driver driving iron in the fairway and then ripping that two iron from uh, 258 uh, and you know, enthusiastically pumping his fist and reacting. And all, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we had this, this setting for something very exciting, a, a reversal pot- potential at the top of the leaderboard over the final holes. But yeah, you're right. It, it took the, this major out of all of them certainly lacked, it lacked a buzz. It wasn't, it's a combination of things. It may be partly the golf course itself where, where the excitement, those last two holes are built for the excitement, but there aren't many holes that really distinguish themselves to get there. You know, there's a lot of long par fours that and kind of all look similar on television and kind of play similar you know, they look similar when you're walking in, and they play yep. similar for players. And so, um, you know, we, we were we were lucky, we were fortunate to get uh, something at the end for, for those of us who love golf and want to, you know, put in the time and, and watched all of it. We wanted to be paid off for it, and we yeah. did get a payoff at the end. Yeah. Now, I, w- I was on a radio show this morning, and one of their questions. Nice plug. <laughs> <laughs> Shameless. Uh, 
I was on a show and one of the questions around Jimmy Walker was, does this change how we perceive him? And the obvious answer is yes, he's a major winner now. Uh, and there's a number of players who have gone on to win the PGA and done nothing else in their career. But what I thought is the underlying story is that he went wire to wire. He was the he was a co-leader on Friday. He was leading by himself on Thursday. Uh, he was leading by himself through 54 holes uh, on Sunday morning, and he was the leader at the end. Like, there's a relatively short list of guys who have won a major wire to wire. There is, yeah. That's a that's a special club for Jimmy Walker. I thought a I thought of a metaphor right when I hung up the phone this morning from my own radio interview, and I'll I'll use it here. <laughs> I think Jimmy Walker is is in many ways he's like the Baltistral Golf Club of PGA Tour pros, and I what I mean by that is it's understated. There isn't a lot of flash for television, or maybe even for like a national, you know, casual fan appeal. But those inside the game, those who really get golf, love Baltistral. They think it's a great course. It's a classic, understated, yeah. solid golf course. And I think in many ways that fits Jimmy Walker, who's uh, very popular in the locker room. You know, golfers, people uh, inside the game like him. We in the press who have spent time with him like him. He's a nice guy. He's, he's a little more introspective and introverted. But, um, you know, he's an astrophotographer and has, you know, he has unique hobbies. Um and just sees the world a little bit differently. So popular among for golf nerds, maybe for lack of a better word. And so is Baltistral. Yeah. Uh, but outside of golf, maybe there isn't quite the buzz or or like national, um, you know, flash that gets people outside of golf and casual fans excited. So that's that's my comparison. I think Walker. I like it. Established himself, like Baltistral itself, as one of the game's you know greats. He's now has a, a permanent spot in the, in the game's lore with this major championship win just like the golf course he won it on, yeah. even though it may not be the most memorable uh, championship of the year for yeah. those outside of the game. Yeah, I like that. He was definitely pushed for this win. It didn't fall into his lap. You had uh, Jason Day, number one player in the world, Henrik Stenson, probably the hottest player in the world, both yeah. chasing him. And within a stroke for much of Sunday, I think that that is something that will probably not be remembered, you know, you remember the guy who won a lot more than the guy who lost for a number of reasons. Yeah. But Jimmy Walker's win is, I think, made more impressive by the fact that people that were chasing him and came up short. It certainly helps. You know, it's one thing, uh, not all wire-to-wire victories are created equal, but they're all, I mean, they certainly all take their place as historic and incredible accomplishments. But to be chased by the number one player in the world, yeah. ultimately, at the end. That has to be that scary. Ad, that does add some sizzle. And to, and to be playing, you know, with all the um, the disjointed final round and the way the pairings came out strangely, you know, you didn't have the top, necessarily the top ten guys playing in the final five groups. But you did have Jason Day playing in front of Jimmy Walker in the end, which helped. You know, that Day could, at times, actually looking back up the fairway to see where Walker was and really – you know, that, that battle was happening. That that worked, you know, to, to have the number one player in the world staring down Jimmy Walker in the end and for him to rise and be able to, to beat him. It does add another level of, of accomplishment for him, for sure. Now, one one thing our colleague Sean Steineman, uh, social media editor at Golf.com, he was saying really early in the fourth round that this is great for Jimmy Walker. The way the weather forced no repairing uh, as far as players go, in, in tee times, Jimmy Walker played with Robert Streb, mm-hmm. and Jason Day was a hole away from him. Jimmy Walker did not have the, as many people watching him as Jason Day did. 
And I, yeah. as much as there's going to be inherent pressure to winning any golf tournament, no matter where you are in the course, Jimmy Walker was walking, you know, among sort of the same crowd he walked around most of the week. And Jason Day kind of stumbled off the start and had everyone following him. I think that if Jason Day is playing with Jimmy Walker, I'm not saying things would be different, but I know that Jimmy Walker would be would be feeling a little bit more pressure. I, think. I hadn't thought about it like that. That's that's an interesting point. I the one reason I thought the the Sunday finish, the 36 hole finish for him might have been good is just he was hot all week. He was making putts and he didn't have to stop and think about it for long. And to just stay paired with Streb and just be comfortable in that pairing, um, I just thought the two together, he was he was just comfortable and and also when you're hot on the golf course, you want to just play more golf, right? Any anybody who plays golf can relate. You can't just when it's going well, you just want to keep going. Um, so I thought maybe just not having to sleep on a on a on a 54 hole lead and just be right back out there again also worked to Walker's advantage. But that's a good point about playing the whole round with even though he was battling for the lead. He didn't necessarily have the weight of the golf course tilted at his direction, like say Stenson yeah. and Phil did, you know, in, in Troon, where you had thirty or forty thousand people all just following that group. It felt like a Ryder Cup match. It could have taken on that feel Sunday afternoon, but it didn't mm-hmm. because because of the way the pairings worked out. That you never really felt like everybody was there until seventeen. Yeah. Now Jimmy Walker. As much as great as his performance was and everything that that went into it, the guy made a very questionable move on 18, yeah. pulling three wood from the fairway. He had hit iron off the tee, and he and he pulls out three wood, and he need he needed four shots to get into the hole, for a par to win his first major. He pulls three wood, and fans it out to the right in relatively thick rough that. Yeah. That stuff had not really been trotted on right of the hole much all week. What is what are you doing pulling three wood? Yeah, Jimmy Walker is lucky he doesn't have to answer for that one. Oh my goodness! Uh, that that was that was the only uh, of really four rounds of unbreakable play, and just he seemed bulletproof up until that point. I don't know why you pull three wood there. Uh, I maybe you're just comfortable. It's been your strategy all week, and it's working for you, but. Maybe you think it'd be cool to make an eagle at the end, like Jason did. I don't know what the, I don't know what the strategy was when he when he laid back off the tee. I thought, well, we're gonna play this a three shot hole. Yeah, this is smart. A, he said hit an iron off the tee, brilliant. Make your par. I didn't see him going iron and then and then three wood. <laughs> uh, but who knows what he was looking at in the lie or just a comfort factor. But that was a strange decision. He's lucky you didn't bite him. Yeah, it's one of those things where a golfer. You're watching them on the broadcast, and they select a club, and you, as a viewer, you have about one minute, maybe even less, to kind of contextualize what's going to happen. Right. And for that minute that we watched him warm up, warm up swing with his three wood, we're like, "What is this guy doing?" And then he does, he fans it all right, and you know, in that moment, you have to imagine chasing your first major. You hit into a rough. You got to flop it over a bunker to get on a green, and then two putt that rough. Is automatically is stickier, it's longer, it's wetter than you ever thought it was. It's, I mean, that's what golf does to you. Yeah, he got lucky. He pulled a decent lie uh, in the in the rough behind the bunker, and and really he played four out of five shots. Extremely smart that hole. Yeah. You know, he didn't he didn't he just went for the center of the green with that pitch shot, 
and knocked it to 30 feet, and then the lag putt was about as good as you could do under yeah. that kind of pressure. Lagged it within three feet. Uh, so four out of five shots made a lot of sense for Walker on that hole. There's just the one questionable shot, but when you have a trophy, you, you can kind of laugh that one off. or get. It's much easier to answer those questions with a trophy sitting next to you than it would have been otherwise. No kidding. Now, Stenson played a pretty in- interesting final round. Henrik Stenson actually played a pretty interesting entire tournament. The guy... As we know, as a ball-striking savant, he is absolutely incredible with his irons, and we saw that throughout the week. We kind of knew Baltusrol was going to put, was going to force players to be great from like 175, 180, 190 yards, and he was great. The guy can't make a 10-foot putt. It makes me think, the magic that he had at Troon. I think that a British Open might be the only major, and it's it's tough. To, to jump off the Henrik Stenson train as wow. as quickly as we jumped on it. but It's still rolling at top speed. And you're just jumping off of the trains, flying down the tracks. Everybody's on the Stenson train. So. He, he, he was uh, 77th this week in strokes gain putting. For someone who is that high on the leaderboard to finish that awful with his putter, is, it's, off, it's, it's remarkable. And, but for him, that kind of putting performance is unremarkable. It makes you wonder if he could ever really actually get it done elsewhere besides a British Open when the greens are a little bit slower. I think he's a guy, though. He hits the the iron so well. I sort of feel like if he's mid-tier putting, he could still win. Do you remember what he was at Troon, his putting well, stats for the week? it was definitely much better than, than normal. Yeah. With what he did on Sunday, uh, hitting a couple of those really long putts, and, yeah. and granted, you're gonna you're gonna make putts if you shoot 63 at a major. Right. So he was he was a lot better at Troon than expected. It just it makes me think. Everyone talked about how the greens there were going to be they're turned down. That's what that's what you get in links golf a little bit. I would say I would say Stenson is a guy uh, who could putt if he can putt to like a B minus tour level at these majors. If then he's going if he's going to hit the ball as well as he does, I think he can still factor. Uh, for for awful putting, I would I would present to you Rory McIlroy for an oh awful for an awful putting week. But I, I'm not ready to jump off the Stenson bandwagon yet. In fact. This is a separate topic, but a lot of people, we, we had our our Sunday night PGA Tour confidential roundtable. One of the topics was about player of the year, and I was surprised that the panel was very quick to just hand it to Dustin Johnson. Yeah, I don't think it's even close to over yet. I think Stenson, it's, it's, this to me is still the summer of Stenson. I think he could win a gold medal. I know it's not a PGA Tour accomplishment, but that's still a world golf accomplishment that I would factor in if I was voting. Uh, I think Jason Day with three victories could still pile some things up at the at the FedEx Cup. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not I'm not off the Stenson bandwagon yet, and I I just think uh, he could still ultimately become the player who player of the year, player who defines the summer. That's a that's a topic we talked about this morning on the trek back from New Jersey to New York. The traffic. I should have just recorded that. We yeah, could have could have <laughs> dropped it in right now. It would have been a perfect. Uh, it was it was heavy in traffic uh, and heavy in like red bloodshot eyes after getting about four or five hours of sleep last night. But we talked about who could who's in the conversation, who's actually in it right now. I think you have to consider anyone who has two wins this year, and regardless of Jordan Spieth's uh, you know relatively lackluster major performance, he still made every cut in the major, and he has two wins. Adam Scott has two wins. They're a long time ago, but two wins are two wins. Jason Day has three wins, one of which is a WGC, one of which is Arnie's tournament, 
and one of which is the players, which yeah. is one of the best tournaments all all season long. Then you've got DJ. He's got a U.S. Open win, a WGC win, and a boatload of top tens. Yeah. Then you've got Stenson. He's got the major win. You've got Willett, who's got the major win. It's still up in the air. I agree with you. It, yeah. You can't. I think Dustin Johnson is your favorite when you when you add a WGC up to a U.S. Open. But and the way he won the U.S. Open. Yeah. You know, there's external forces in play with the rules controversy that Stenson's head-to-head duel with Mickelson was awesome, but you still uh, you give maybe one little bonus point there of the extra pressure of of the rules controversy. Yeah. So I understand I understand why DJ might be the front runner at this moment, but. I still think it's close. I think it's hard to win that award, though, without a major. I think the only way you could do it is the type of resume Jason Day has, yeah. which is you win the players. And you win and you a win couple a, and, you win, and you go beyond that. And then you have kind of everybody else. The major winners are one-off uh, wins. But DJ has another WGC, and he's got, All as right. you said, the, the top 10. So I, I think it's probably, unless, like I said, if Stenson wins gold and keeps on going in the FedEx Cup, I could see him taking it. Otherwise, I think Jason Day probably needs to win multiple times. Multiple. Uh, That's what I was curious I think to it's ask. More, I think it's more than one. Okay. Yeah, more than one of these. So you're saying if 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 Day wins, like, the Tour Championship or wins, yeah. he'd have to win one more to – I mean, I understand what you're saying. It's a pretty valid point because DJ didn't just perform in, in his victories. He, I think, T4 at Augusta. I think uh, he was he, he Tifo. Yeah, that like wow. stuck in there. Yeah, it's that's one of those things. He almost he almost won in Memphis. He's been up there every everywhere this year in terms of FedEx Cup points. He's far and away, kind of still leading things there. I think maybe Day might have might have flirted with passing him this week. But regardless, it it is a topic that is not set in stone after the PGA, yeah. which is some, saying something because that hasn't really been the case over the past few years. Another thing that's not set in stone, but trended towards uh, getting a little more clearer for us is Ryder Cup qualification. Yeah. This week, PGA Championship was the last tournament uh, during which at least Team America will have double points awarded. I think it's a little bit clearer now. Patrick Reed and Brooks Kepka are both trending in a lot better uh, situations than, say, Scott Piercy or Kevin Chappell. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you like this U.S. team that you see right now in the qualification? Like, if it would if it would have been decided today? Uh, I like it. I think Reed, if I remember right, is just barely sitting outside the top eight. I think he would be a no brainer captain's pick. Uh, I like JB Holmes didn't have a good week. I like him in there. Obviously, Jimmy Walker. He played well in his first Ryder Cup at Glen Eagles two years ago. He would have been a strong contender for a captain's pick. Uh, even if he had somehow lost this duel with Jason Day, just showing what he did um, at Baltistral. So yeah, I do, I do like the U.S. team makeup, and you know you've got three three players coming in after the Barclays, and then one more kind of wild card pick later to try to grab that hot player off the FedEx Cup. So um, there's still there's still some shaping or some things to happen, but. I'm all right with it. I think I think in the end we're getting something pretty close to the best team we could possibly yeah. have. Yeah, they the qualification as it looks right now, you've got DJ Spieth, um, Jimmy Walker, Phil Mickelson. Those guys are pretty much all guaranteed. Zach Johnson's definitely in there. 
He won a British last year. Kepka's in it now too, right? Bubba Watson. Kepka, I believe, is top eight because he played so well this week. Mm-hmm. And you've got a group of guys, uh, Kucher, Fowler, Reed, that are probably all going to. It's really. JB. Yeah, yeah. it's really like it's coming down to like probably a 12th man. And Davis Love said this week, like, we're probably looking down the line a little bit further than you people think, which I think is great. Um, when you look at when you're shaping a Ryder Cup team, you've got 12 guys that are all going to play a singles match, and then you've got four other grouping of uh, groups of matches, half of which are alternate shot. And that allows you to kind of look a lot at the statistics, the strokes gained. Who do you think you could pick that could be a great alternate shot partner for Jordan Spieth or a great alternate shot partner for Dustin Johnson, a guy who strikes the ball so well. Maybe you pick the best putter remaining in the field, pair him up alternate shot once with Dustin Johnson, who will get you to the green and might not putt quite as well, and you pair them up. I think that Davis Love, I think, is approaching this the right way. Yeah, I think so too. I would would expect him to use some kind of hybrid of the, the famous Azinger pod system and try to find those groups of four guys that can all kind of mix and match to, to form the, the, the smaller team within the team. Uh, you you got to think a guy like Dustin Johnson is going to have a couple putters it, it, go, yeah. paired with him. Uh, I think Spieth and Reed is a no-brainer. You got to get that back the together. Magic. You got to. Yeah, yeah you got to at least try that at the start of the week. So I'd expect those two guys uh, in the same pod. I wonder I, I wonder about Phil. Oh. Uh, is it Phil and Ricky? They play a lot of practice rounds together. Um, yeah, Keegan Bradley, of course, paired with him really well. I don't I don't know that Bradley's done enough to be a captain's pick, but I'm no. sure he's on the radar anyway. Someone to look at. He's, he's popped up a little bit more in the last month, but um, that feels like a stretch. So uh, I, I would think Phil, you look at one of the younger guys. Of course, everyone's going to be younger than Phil, but I, I, I think – there's some clues in his Tuesday practice round games mm. that um, Ricky Fowler pops up a lot, and I, I would I would love to see that pairing um, at a Ryder Cup. But it's gonna be fun, you know. We're starting to the, these qualifications now with the last major championship, the last double points event. Yeah. This is pretty close. This top eight is pretty close. At least the top. You probably take the top six and say you got you're pretty in. much on. Yeah. So it's it uh, from here. It's tough being a Ryder Cup captain. I, I'm not speaking from experience at all, but when you look at the decisions that they make, a lot of times it's it's almost lose lose with who you're having to sit down and who you're keeping in and and who you're not even allowing on the team and who you are picking as a captain's pick. It is very difficult, and it, it's you know Davis Love. I think I think he did a. a in retrospect, a pretty decent job when he was captain in 2012 at Medina, uh, at least comparatively speaking with Tom Watson uh, at Glen Eagles. And I think he he was a losing captain, but that was one of the biggest comebacks in Ryder Cup history. That's that's almost you like you push the players out there, have at it, guys. And if you don't play well, you lose. If you do play well, you win. What can a captain do? Not yeah, Sunday especially. I mean, there's no hiding anybody. There's no you set the order of players and and just let them go. That's certainly out of out of the entire week. Obviously, you want your team feeling good, and you you hope that 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 it all builds up to those Sunday singles and they play their best that day. But it's hard to hold Davis responsible for the comeback that Europe threw at his team that day. Um, captaining is very thankless, you know, oh it's, it's all you, all you really do is it's, it's a no win, all lose situation where 
every move you make is scrutinized. And some of those moves have to happen pretty quickly. There's a yep. fast turn from the morning session to afternoon session. And you don't know how guys are feeling or, you, you know, you have quick conversations with your, t- with your players on the course. Do they want to play afternoon? And what do you, you know, you lean on your vice captains, but it's a very, um, you don't want to, you don't want to say the captains play a bigger role than they do uh, because ultimately it's the players who hit the shots, but they could take a lot of heat for, for their role. It's very thankless and very scrutinized. And this one, every Ryder Cup feels bigger than the last. Especially and when so you keep it, losing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it puts even more – there's even more pressure on Davis Love, you know, than, than there was Tom Watson at Glen Eagles. There's even more pressure on Love now than there was on Love the last time around. Uh, the U.S. wants to win this. We want to get off, we gotta, we wanna get off this streak. And the pressure just intensifies, and it's it's almost it. I feel like it feeds onto itself. Of how do you get your team relaxed? Mm-hmm. Because Europe always plays more relaxed than the U.S. How do you get your team relaxed when every time around you keep losing? <laughs> yeah. and the pressure builds, and the it's it, this is a tough. It's a tough cycle to have to break. And uh, I can't wait to see. I can't wait to get to Hazeltine and see what happens. Yeah, we're only a couple months away, but the bottom line is that position, that job that Davis Love is in, uh, with with hindsight, it is a spot that he can really get grilled upon, and it's tough uh, regardless. But we can leave it at that. Thanks for tuning in to the Golf.com podcast. From each major this year, Jeff and I, I know, had a blast doing it. Much thanks to him for joining me. And same to you for listening. Do me a favor now and subscribe to the podcast so interviews like this will download straight to your smartphone. Until next time, I'm your host, Sean Zock.